Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 118. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
announcer. Announcer? That's me. <coughs> Get headquartered. A timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I just turned in my book about Pac-Man, and I have no news about the Warren Kramer book, or the TTV scrapbook, or the Disney book. I'm still working on my Mad book, the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about the Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. Letters, we get letters. Here's another comment about a recent episode from Barefoot Bears. They say, Spanky and our gang were great. Sunday Will Never Be the Same was my favorite song of theirs. What Spanky did with her voice in that song, Sunday Will Never Be the Same, with that sort of reverb in her voice was so great. Anyway, my son does rap music. I would love to hear Spanky do a collaboration with him where she raps a few words. Wouldn't that be great? Anyway, love this interview. Send Spanky my love, and thank you for the great memories and for being a significant part of the songbook of my life. Today's show will have two parts. Part one is an interview, and part two features the results of our Monkey's Top Albums poll. Up first is an interview with a record producer who produced Flo and Eddie's Moving Targets album, as well as engineering albums by Bad Company, Led Zeppelin, and The Who. Here he is, Ron Nevison. Hi, this is Mark Arnold at Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have on the phone Ron Nevison, who was a producer for Flo and Eddie's Moving Targets album. Uh, we're going to have a little short interview with him just to talk about the album and anything else he might want to bring up. So, how are you doing today, Ron? Good. Okay. Well, really well today. Okay. And um, so I guess the first thing is um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with Flo and Eddie in the first place. Uh, I had just started, uh, I just got hired as the chief engineer for the record plant in Los Angeles. They also had a studio in, in Sausalito, so I was kind of the chief engineer for all of the five studios, mm -hmm. and somewhere in early 76, and this is uh, the second album project I think I did when I was there. I had other duties as the engineer besides just doing prod, but yeah, doing sessions, uh, but uh, this was brought to me, uh, uh, Skip Taylor, who was the manager uh, of, oh, and he also in fact, he still is the manager of Can't Heat. Mm. Uh, and um, Skip brought this to me, and we kind of co-produced it uh, in uh, Los Angeles at the record plant. Uh, we also went up to the Sausalito record plant for a week or two, I remember, to do the vocals, mm -hmm. which was a lot of fun having Mark and Howard uh, do vocals together because they were... You know, like a comedy team, right. you know, one would start t talking and the other one would finish the thought. Mm -hmm. you know, it was, uh, it was a hilarious time, a great time, in fact. Mm -hmm. But uh, the band was really good. I brought in um, uh, an arranger. Uh, for me, one of the most significant things was I brought in an arranger called uh, Alan McMillan. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me. 
since I was actually new in town after spending five years in London, uh, doing The Who and Led Zeppelin and bands like that, Mm-hmm. Uh, to do come and do a flow and eddy, and they wanted some horns that were like Chicago horns, right? And so, and I ended up producing Chicago ten years oh, later. Funny, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. But um, they wanted horns for, like Chicago, and I asked around, and uh, this fellow, Alan McMillan, had done a lot of work for um, Alice Cooper in Canada for Bob Ezrin, I think. And so he was highly recommended, and I brought him in from Toronto to write the charts, and, and that was, that's a lot of the part, a lot of the uh, orchestrations on moving targets are, are directly from Alan, you know. Yeah, who, I, think, uh, I think he gets credit as strings and horns arranged and conducted yeah. by Alan yep. Millen. by right? Alan. <laughs> and I went on to use him on the babies and on uh, uh, lots of different bands, Dave Mason. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he, he became a, a guy I used to fly in on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And um, for this project, was there any sort of direction? And what I mean by that is, uh, Flo and Eddie, this is Flo and Eddie's fourth solo album, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the first two were kind of Turtles leftovers. But they had some silly tracks, too, like the Sanzini Brothers and stuff like that. Then the third album, Illegal, Immoral, and Fattening, was kind of mostly live and then a couple studio tracks. And mm-hmm. so it really showed the comedy. Was there a mandate to make this one more straight, or what was the, the direction at this point? Well, you know, when I took on this project, uh, I didn't really know about Flo and Eddie. I knew about the Turtles. Mm-hmm. But I had been in England uh, on the whole of the whole of the seventies up till then, and they didn't really uh, they hadn't heard much about about Flo and Eddie as a breakout of the Turtles. So I was familiar with Eleanor. I was familiar with So Happy Together. I wasn't really up on their other uh, solo projects. Okay. And so I, I don't remember, you know, it's like 50 years ago or something. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember exactly the discussions we had. Uh, I wasn't the only producer. Mm-hmm. I was the producer engineer, and I trusted those guys who were pretty seasoned, all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 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 and I loved all those guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skip Taylor was great. Uh, the band was terrific. Uh, and um, I remember having a great time doing the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, did uh, Mark and Howard come in with finished tracks like demos, or did you create yeah. them on the spot? No, they were pretty finished. Okay. And I just colored them in, like the, the song Keep It Warm, you know, mm-hmm. had a lot of verses. And so I just had to come in with different things on each verse, instrumentations and sounds and like a sitar or like uh you know different kind of things like that mm-hmm. uh, I, I, and uh, that was one of my favorite tracks on the on the record mm-hmm. yeah that's a very good one one other one i like is the opening track mama open up yeah open up. yeah <laughs> yeah i did it i did it a lot bad company kind of mm-hmm. with the big guitars yeah and for a very funny serious rock track right right yeah. um and then you know the album does have a, a remake of Eleanor. Whose tr- whose yeah. choice was that? 
You know, it was one of my favorite tunes. I don't know if uh, they did it. We ended up doing it mm-hmm. because of me. Uh, we wanted to do uh, a, a Turtles tune in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, yeah, ended up being Eleanor. Okay. I'm not, I, I can't quite remember if it was. That's fine. <laughs> I approved of it, and they said, okay, well, let's do it. Yeah. And looking at the album, there's like uh, a lot of um, like slide guitar on the track called "Hot." Was that an intentional thing? Let's get a little more, you know, (laughs) different on sounds on each track, or what was the mandate on each track? Um, Yeah, you know what? You're getting a little bit too uh, okay. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just going by, you know, like the credits again. I'll read them off to you. So it's like um, yeah. Donnie Dacus and Jeff Baxter came in to do slide guitar on oh, that track. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that Je- <laughs> Jeff think... Skunk Baxter. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Baxter, you know, he was that's was his, that was his thing, mm-hmm. slide. So um, maybe it was a friend of Skip's. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, these were all L.A. guys, and I was kind of a little bit of an outcast at that point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not outcast, but, uh, you know, um, uh, I wasn't, um, I didn't have my um, my go-to guys mm. like I did like I did in England. You know, you get musicians that you kind of, like, go to, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't have those guys. Yeah. So. That's fine. Um, let's see. And then the, another person listed on uh, the thing is... Uh, dish, whoa. <laughs> I hear some out-of-tune guitars on hot. Is that what this anyway, is? go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, also on the credits, it mentions Graham Shirley Strachan is uh, chorus vocals on Guns. And Guns is like an interesting track. I don't know if you have any memories on that particular track or those vocals or anything like that. If not, that's fine. You know, I don't. Okay. Uh, I remember <laughs> I remember Sway When You Walk. Yeah. I remember Mama Open Up and uh, um, Best Friends was, yeah, like a soundtrack-y kind of thing. Right. Keep It Warm. Yeah, I don't, I haven't listened to this in 40 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I had, and yeah, I would have listened through. Uh, well, you're doing pretty good about remembering some of the titles, yeah. And then, there, of course, the title track of Moving Targets itself was a good track, I thought. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, as far as when it was complete, when you got all the tracks together, um, did you select the running order, or how did that work out? Uh, I don't remember. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. And uh, did you have anything to do with like the cover image or anything else in the project, or just the producing of the record? That's a good question because I have I have the original artwork Ooh. from that. <laughs> Uh, credits here. Illustration is Dave McMacken. Mm-hmm. So, did you know yeah. him? I guess I ended up with it. They, they, they. You know, they make the artwork, and then, you know, in those days, printed the, the. Uh, we weren't ready for CDs then. Right. <laughs> so, uh, now I'm, I'm not sure if it's the original. To tell you the truth, I, I have it. Uh, uh, it's been so long. Uh, maybe they gave out each of us a copy of. Yeah. Of, of the artwork. Yeah. But well, uh, I'll send you a copy of it. Sure. 
Well, you know, um, regardless, I mean, it's a really nice thing. It's actually on a CD. It really looks crappy because it's really tiny, yeah. and there's lots that's, of details. That, you know, that's a shame. That's yeah. a shame. That's and that's what happened in those days. Right. You know, once the album artwork got reduced, uh, that's that's you know that's what how it ended up. Yeah, because I'm sure if it was made for CD originally, it probably wouldn't have had it so elaborate and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and, that's right. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I guess that's pretty much all of my main questions. Is there any other memories? I mean, we did interview uh, Charles and I, Andy Kahn, who played keyboards on the, and he had some memories himself. Uh, did you uh, remember working with him or anything like that? No, I, I had uh, one of my fondest memories of working with Howard and Mark is, and Skip is we had a tank of nitrous oxide, <laughs> and um, we were at the record plant house listening to Vanilla Fudge. Help me free, why don't you pay? <laughs> and getting high on nitrous oxide. <laughs> and I do remember that. Wow. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with those guys. They were, they were great people. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is, later on, I lived in Bel Air and lived right opposite UCLA. Mm -hmm. And I got a call from, from Mark. He was teaching a class at UCLA. Mm -hmm. And I came over as a guest to talk about music production. Yeah. Uh, and that was in the early 90s. Oh, that's cool. And I haven't really talked to anybody since. I have talked to Skip Taylor yeah. in the last 10 years, mm -hmm. who's in Tucson. Mm -hmm. But uh don't know where those guys are. But, yeah, just an overall great experience. Okay. One, a couple last questions I can think of is... The album that came out had ten tracks. Was there anything that was like left on the proverbial cutting room floor, or was that pretty much what you did? No, nope, no friggin' idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you, you know, I I have no idea. A lot of times we'll cut more than one extra track, mm -hmm. um, just to see how things develop if the dark horse comes comes along. Right. Uh, but I don't remember if we did it with that. Okay. So no other Turtles tracks other than Eleanor or anything like that? It was just pretty no, much that? Okay. No, I, I don't think so. No. Okay, okay. And sometimes, you know, I know different groups, they'll, they'll play like rock and roll oldies or something just to yeah. kind of limber up and they record it or something, but nothing like that yeah. that you can remember. Yeah, with the first Bad Company album, I, I recorded uh, two or three extra songs. Right. That eventually have come out. Yeah. Uh, over the years uh, as, the, you know, the, the catalog has gone into uh into cds when they need they have more room for stuff yeah they they, they bring out uh, i did a, a live album with ufo mm -hmm. called strangers in the night and they just released all of the all of the versions wow yeah <laughs> uh, you know in other words i recorded six shows mm -hmm. and i only used uh, different songs from different shows you know the best what i right. thought was the best and they just released everything Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or had it remixed and released everything, which I don't think is such a great idea, but 
Yeah. <laughs> well, nowadays it's like if we can find it and it was by them, let's put it's, it out. Yeah. <laughs> if it's if it's content, yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah, because I know like uh, you know Flo and Eddie or Mark and Howard were were in Zappa's band, and now they're you know yeah, they're, yeah. they're putting yeah. out every little scrap. And yeah. there's this album called sure. Frank Zappa 1970. And it's like oh geez, yeah. it's just them talking in the car and stuff like that. It's like wow, that's too much. You know, I, did a, I, I did a. I did a bunch of sessions with Zappa. Yeah. And uh, he, he told me once, hey, Ron, I've got this great concept. And I said, what's that? He says, okay, picture this. This guy and his son are watching television. They're sitting watching television in the living room. But they have these plastic bags over their hands and over their face. Mm-hmm. And while they're watching the TV with these plastic bags and, uh, uh, over their hands and their face, they're stuffing popcorn up through the bag to eat. <laughs> and, and then the son asked the dad, Dad, how come we have these plastic bags over our hands and face and we're watching TV like that? And the dad goes, it's because we're ugly as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was Frank Zappa. Wow. Now, that was his concept or his joke or something just to break the, the you know, <laughs> I don't know if it was off the top of his head, but I, I said the same thing that you said. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, which albums did you work with him? Well, the... I, I did editing for him. Okay. He did, in other words, I used to come in, since I was the chief engineer at the record plant, uh, I would do a lot of individual sessions, not album work. Oh, okay. I mean, I also did album work, so I don't remember. It was something he was doing, something he was putting together. But, I, you know, I would just edit, edit, edit. He'd okay. tell me to put this together and cut that and do this. And, so you know, what time, was always, I guess what years were we talking about? Late 70s, early 80s? Uh, early 70s, mid-70s. Mid okay, so around the same time. I didn't, time get, I didn't get, yeah, around the time of moving targets, I guess. Okay. Within within seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, something okay. like that. What's moving target? Seventy six. Seventy six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So somewhere in there. Okay. I was just kind of curious because you know it's like you know, Flo and Eddie were basically with Zappa for like a year and a half, seventy to seventy one, and right. then Zappa had the fall off the stage, and that pretty much ended that. And oh. so, <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah. they went on solo as that as it were at that point, but. Uh, yeah, Zappa went on and did like more jazzy stuff. So you know he was doing yeah, like, like, he, like he was doing with the Mothers. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was really his thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was. That was his thing. And I think the album that came out around '75 was One Size Fits All and uh, Zoot Allures was in '76. Things like that. But you know, if you're doing individual tracks, you probably wouldn't know which albums they're off of or anything. No, I, yeah. I, you know, it's it's yeah. all so long ago. And... Right. And that's fine. Um, yeah, because we're just here today to talk a little bit about uh, the Moving Targets album and what you've done. So what? just to kind of wrap it up, um, uh, any last stories about Mark and Howard that you care to share? And also, what do you do presently and if there's anything you want to promote? Uh, no last stories that I can think of with Mark and Howard. Um... Like I said, the last time I saw Mark was at the UCLA. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, 
it just was a great a great people to work with. I mean, I had a wonderful time with that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, at the moment, I'm living in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a recording studio at my house, and I mix mix uh, for a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. I just finished uh, mixing a record for one of my favorite guitar players of all time, Key Marcello, from mm-hmm. from Europe. You know, I did an album with them uh, uh, in 1988 mm-hmm. uh, called Out of This World. And he is hooked up now with a singer named Tommy Hart. Mm. And uh, they put together an 80s kind of sounding, almost sounds just like where Europe left off in 1988. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it sounds great. And I just finished that. So I'm doing a bunch of different mixing projects, mostly. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. And um, let's see, I guess that's pretty much wraps it up. I guess offline you can tell me uh, Skip's uh, contact, and we can try to get Skip on the show and see what goes on. Yeah, yeah, see what he's... uh, All right. I'll do that. Well, thank you very much, Ron, for being part of this uh, Fun Ideas podcast, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Ron Nevison, for a brief but great interview. Now I join my co-author, Michael A. Ventrella, as we present the ranking from worst to best of the Monkey's studio albums from a poll we conducted recently on Facebook. Welcome. I'm Michael Ventrella. And I'm Mark Arnold. And we're here to talk to you about the Monkey's Best and Worst Countdown. Uh, this is based on a poll we did on our webpage on Facebook called The Monkey's Songs. So let's start right away, Mark. Okay. Um, we found out that the Monkeys have done 13 albums in a little over 52 years, if you can believe it. I mean, granted, most of them were in the late 60s and to 1970, but still. That's an incredible uh, productivity for such a long period of time. Anyway, so uh, don't want to waste more, any more time, so we'll start off with the least favorite album, number 13. It is Changes from 1970. Changes is also known as the Contractual Obligation album. Basically, Peter and Mike had already left the band, but Davey and Mickey had to put out another album. And at this point, the two actors really didn't care that much about the music in the same way that Mike and Mickey did. I'm sorry, uh, Mike and Peter did. And so this was an album where basically they were brought into the studios, each of them separately on different days to record a bunch of songs that had already been recorded and it was thrown out and it it did not sell. And the basic opinion consensus of changes is apart from maybe the single, Oh My My, which isn't bad. It has a little video of them writing, Mickey and uh, Davey riding on motorcycles. In general, the album's kind of, flat and overall the same so and michael and peter are sorely missed so that's the story yeah there's a couple couple of good songs on there there were older songs that they brought back mickey wrote one but overall there's a reason this is number 13 on our list (laughs) all right number number 12 is is christmas monkey's christmas party (laughs) that's right and i'll tell you a little bit of history about it so um the Monkees had a great resurgence on their 50th anniversary in 2016. Uh, they had had great success with Good Times, so why not do another, basically, Good Times 2? But they realized if they just did Good Times 2, it might flop. Uh, they've done Christmas songs in the past. Christmas is my time of the year, Ryushu, which are included on the expanded version of this uh, CD. Uh, and there's some really good songs. There's also some really weird covers of old classics uh, that are sometimes leave a pe- people feeling a little bit off. 
And it's also Peter's final recording. This is an album that has like four or five really excellent, great songs and some, some brand new ones written by some of the same people who had written songs for good times. Um, but I'll agree about half of the album is throwaway, you know, same old Christmas songs that everybody and their brother has done. Um, so that's why I guess why it came out at number 12. I probably would have rated it a little bit higher, but that was what our poll showed. Yeah. Well, before we go on, I uh, just wanted to mention that we have written as partners uh, two books, and I'll show you the cover of the first book. It's called Long Title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey's Songs One by One, which has this great cover by Scott Shaw that's a wraparound that's a la It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. That one is, uh, goes, we go through every one of the albums, uh, except for Christmas Party, because the book came out before Christmas Party. Then we did a sequel. It's called Headquarters, a timeline of the monkey's solo year. Here we go through every single year and talk about what they've been doing through the year, discuss each of the album, and both books are full of lots of pictures and designs and graphs and everything else you could ask for. So those, those are what we had to base our poll on that we did on our webpage, um, which is called The Monkey's Songs once more. Both of these books can be available anywhere you want to go, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon. We advise you to go to Bear Manor Media, which is our publisher, because quite often they have discounts and you can get it cheaper. But we don't care. Buy it wherever you want. <laughs> Just <laughs> of course, one day, one day we'll update the headquartered one, too, because now uh, Mickey and Michael are doing uh, Mickey Sings Michael Nesmith album. It's coming out pretty soon. So <laughs> it'll always, as long as they're around and even after they're gone, there'll probably be newer and newer compilations, newer and newer albums. Some some monkey thing forevermore. <laughs> Back to number 11. Okay. Number 11 is Pool It. Okay. Now, Pool It came out back in 1987 when there was a monkey's resurgence, thanks mostly to uh, MTV, which started showing the shows again. And suddenly all the albums were back on the charts. And so the monkeys quickly wanted to capitalize on this, except for Mike, of course, who wasn't that interested once more. So the three of them got together and it's an album that has all of them on it, but none of them are on songs together. In other words, there's some songs with Mike and uh, songs with Mickey, songs with Davey, songs with Peter, but there's no song that has more than one of them on it. And I like it pretty well, but uh, part of the reason I like it is precisely the reason most people don't, is it has a very 80s sound. It sounds very dated now. It doesn't sound like a standard Monkees album. Uh, the next album on the list is the, another Latter-day album that they did. This one they did in 1997, and it's called Just Us. And as the title says, it really is just them. That's the interesting thing about this. Uh, unlike any of their albums, even Headquarters, this one has all four of them, just them. They only did songs that they wrote. They played every single instrument, and Mike Nesmith produced it. So it really is just them. So that's good and bad. The good thing is it's really great to hear what they would be like if they had actually formed an actual band. Uh, the bad thing is, you know, one of the reasons their early albums were so good is because they had some of the best songwriters in the world and some really great musicians to assist them. So it has its ups and downs. They're, individually, I think songs are not bad. In a group, after a while, it kind of doesn't hold up as much as it should. Do you agree? Yeah, the, next, uh, the next album we have is 1969's present and it is called the monkeys present even though some people say present which is fine there's no right or wrong <laughs> right <Yeah>. or wrong <laughs> uh, this one came out uh after uh obviously uh, peter had quit and they had done another album called instant replay which didn't sell that well and they wanted to do a resurgence they said let's prove that we're a good band really mike was the one who was leading on this 
And so each of them got four songs. Uh, once more, hardly anyone is on any other song. You know, they're all, they're all like each of them doing it's, it's almost like an album with th three different performers sharing space. It sadly bombed. I, never, I think it got as high as 100, and that's about it. Really bad for a band that had hit number one just a couple of years earlier. And the next one, do you want to introduce it? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you were going to make comments about... Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. That, I like present. You can't knock an album that has listened to the band, but the rest of the album kind of falls flat. So that's why it's ranked so low, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, introduce the next album. Uh, number eight <laughs> is Instant Replay, the one that came out right before... Uh, present instant replay was pretty much uh, thrown together by the by the studios. Mark, you want to talk about that? Well, um, they had uh, just had the TV series end and canceled. They had just uh, released their movie Head, which basically bombed. It was a big bomb, and they said, "Well, let's try to get on track. We're still a contractually obligated music group." And what made us the Monkees? Um, let's go through the vaults and dig out something. So years before the Missing Links collection, they actually made this collection. It's not too bad, but it's it sounds exactly as what it is. It sounds like leftovers from uh, some good albums. And then we'll move on to number seven. Number seven is Good Times. I really like this album. And I was so pleased when this came out back in 2016. Uh, they decided to do a reunion album. And they even used some old, uh, Davey, of course, was gone by this time. They used some of old Davey songs and updated them, refinished re them. But what made this album good, in my opinion, was that it used some of the best songwriters of the day. Andy Partridge and Rivers Cuomo and quite a few other famous writers wrote songs specifically for the Monkees. And that just made this album wonderful, in my opinion. It actually sold fairly well. It jumped up. They, they do the charts differently now than they did in those days. So it jumped up to number 14, which is pretty good for a band that old and stayed a few weeks and then jumped right back off again. So it's not like the old days when things would go up slowing down. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of radio airplay, unfortunately, but they did have a lot of internet airplay. And of course they played everything in concert. It's one of my favorite albums. So one of the, uh, the next album. That, I should mention one of the songs on that got listed on Rolling Stone's best songs of the decade. Me and Magdalena was listed. So the monkeys are still relevant in the, in the 21st century. Okay, next album we have on the list. I forgot where we are in the numbers. Number so six. Number six. Number six. Six, six, six. <laughs> is More of the Monkees. And uh, Michael will tell you a little bit about that one. Yeah, that one came out uh, only like three or four months after the first album. And the Monkees were absolutely surprised because nobody told them it was coming out. And so suddenly there's this album coming out with a cover they didn't like and a bunch of songs on it that they weren't real happy with, but it is one of their best selling albums because it has, I'm a believer and I'm not your stepping stone and quite a few huge hits that get played all the time. And you, when you see a greatest hits collection, like six or seven of the songs are off that one album. Even the day we fall in love <laughs> <laughs> has made it onto a greatest hits compilation. Oh, gosh. Hits. Anyway, <laughs> uh, number five on the list is the birds, the bees and the monkeys. This is the last album that was done uh, while the basic TV show was on at the very tail end. And Michael, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. Uh, well, it, it's the show is near the end, and the monkeys got complete control by this time. And the album is actually produced by the monkeys. It's really a Mike showcase because a lot of Mike songs on it. Um, 
and they were trying to show that they weren't just a bubblegum band. So for some of us, it's one of their better albums because it's not just all bubblegummy, kiddie type music, but it didn't sell well because of that, I think. You know, the, the, the real rock fans in those days would never take the monkey seriously, no matter how good their album was. But you can't knock an album that has Daydream, Believer, and Valerie, even if they are kind of old tunes by that point in 1968. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's the now, first one that did not make number one, I should say. Uh, it, it, made, it only got up to number three at that point. Uh, number four is the debut album, The Monkeys. Oops, don't want to hit Mickey's face there. <laughs> Uh, obviously, this was the first album that came out when the when the um, show was on. Nobody knew it was going to be that big of a hit, and it has uh, "Last Train to Clarksville" on it, and a lot of other Boyce Hart songs. It's it's a little more Boyce Hardy than the rest of the albums. Uh, but it didn't really. Um, one thing I'll one thing I'll say about it is at least they went this route. They decided to do an album, so they were kind of in the league with Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and everyone else in the mid '60s. They could have done just the standard soundtrack album and just put snippets of dialogue and a lot more songs like Gonna Buy Me a Dog, but they didn't go that route, fortunately. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about the monkeys right now. <laughs> that is true. And, and the, the bad part might have been is that the monkeys use their own names. And so that got them into that whole problem of trying to break the stereo and also uh, stereotype and also the old problem of uh, they didn't play their instruments. You know, if they had used fake names on a TV show, I think people would have taken them very, very differently. We do talk about that in the book. But before okay. we go any farther, um, let's talk about how this poll was done, shall we? Okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Gonna say. Before we do the top three, Mike was going to tell us how the poll was done. Yes, exactly. Hey. Sorry. <laughs> right, our script is not being followed as perfectly as it should. Yeah. <laughs> Um, basically, what we did on our webpage is we asked everybody to vote on certain albums. So we put every single album against every other one, the Monkees versus Good Times versus, you know, and, and so you would vote on which one you liked better. And then we would take the percentages and we use the percentages as the numbers. So what would happen is if, if, if an, an album got 60 percent, then they got 60 points. And so by doing this, we had a whole bunch of, of numbers to add up. And when we added them up, this is the poll that we got. So basically the one that's got the most votes obviously is number one based on the percentages. So that's how we did the poll. If you go to our Facebook page, monkey songs, uh, you can see it just scroll down until you get to it. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Or you could search for a particular album. I'm sure it popped up the exact one. If you want to know how headquarters ranked or something like that, which we haven't got to yet anyway. <laughs> so number three on the list uh, is head. Now this is the CD booklet, so it doesn't show in your face <laughs> like the 1968 soundtrack does but anyway michael tell you about that one. Oh, that's uh, obviously it's a very unusual album uh, i think it has probably the best monkey songs in my opinion but there's only six of them you know because it's really not a complete album uh so what they did was they they interspeced it inter <sighs> they mixed it <laughs> thank you <laughs> with dialogue from the movie which makes it quite interesting and that was done by believe it or not jack nicholson who was one of the writers on the movie um, I think it's a great album. It didn't sell very well, just like the movie didn't do very well. But in long term, people have gotten to really love it. I'll say one thing about it. It is the only album that they've actually played entirely in concert. Every other album, they've missed a song or two over the years. But, uh, you know, there's only six tracks. So there you go. Um, <laughs> what's our next one? Number two is Headquarters. Headquarters is uh, the third album that they've made. Mark, it, I, I've been talking too much. You want to talk about it? Okay, <laughs> headquarters. Um, basically, after the first uh, two albums, The Monkees and More of the Monkees, uh, they were fed up because uh, there's stories you can read about them in our books and also just in general of 
Peter coming to sessions and being shooed away saying, oh, uh, we already recorded that part. We don't need you on the guitar. And Michael trying to push the songs that he wrote onto the albums. They said, oh, no, no, no. We got songs by Boyce and Hart and Neil Diamond and Neil Sedaka and all these other people. So we don't need your songs, even though they didn't make them on there. But I think the last straw is when they put out more of the monkeys without their knowledge and they put out a single uh, without their knowledge uh, and while they were on tour and Michael Nesmith basically put his fist through the wall and said, that could have been your head. And they said, oh, whoa, uh, well, <laughs> let, let's let them do their own stuff. So they, that's what Headquarters was all about. Um, it kind of um, fell apart after that. But, you know, it's like it lasted uh, for what it was worth uh, during the late 60s. And they did uh, put down... Uh, their independence, which actually worked in well in some of their songs that they did later on. I, Chip Douglas gets a lot of credit for this. He was the producer. Mike brought him on. Chip used to be the bass player for the Turtles, and he was brought on. He had done Happy Together, and they thought that sounded so good that they brought him in. And he did a great job producing it, uh, letting the monkeys play almost every instrument. So it took a long time because, let's face it, they weren't professional musicians, except maybe for Mike and Peter. But Mickey had to do the drum parts quite a bit. So it took a lot longer than normal. And it's not as professional sounding, but it's heartfelt. <laughs> <laughs> and if somebody really wants to delve deep dive into it, there is a headquarters sessions that literally has everything that they recorded. You know, every little comment, uh, dialogue, and everything, alternate takes and everything. So, uh, but uh, we're just talking about the regular albums. And now we're at number one. What is that? Number one, of course, as you might have guessed, is Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited, which is almost always comes out at the top of any poll that any Monkees fans do. This one was also produced by Chip Douglas, I should say. And the difference in this one and Headquarters is, first of all, they pick some wonderful, wonderful songs. I mean, you know, there's some, there's no bad song on this album. Um, but also, he used a lot more session musicians than on Headquarters, so it sounds a little more professional and better. Uh, not to say that the Monkees aren't playing. Mickey is still playing drums on a couple songs. You know, they're still playing, it's, it's, but they're not the only musicians. And so it does sound a little more professional. They're all the only singers, though, and that's always good. You know, that's something that... One thing I like about Headquarters and this one is you only hear them singing, whereas other albums, you hear other people in the background, who knows who they are. <laughs> and you can't knock any album that has Pleasant Valley Sunday on it. So. Right. <laughs> All so, right. So those are our top 13, of course, there are only 13 albums. Um, of the Monkees albums, you know, uh, and uh, they're all available, obviously, through Rhino. And uh, if you want to know more about it, we just went through this very quickly. Be sure to get our book because our book does go into details a lot more and it'll tell you all about each album and all about every single song. We go through every song one by one, literally. Um, and that's it. Mark, do you have anything else you want to add? No. Uh, enjoy the monkeys. May they continue on for a hundred years, a thousand years. Thank you for listening. And thank you again, Ron Nevison and Michael A. Ventrella for being my special guests. Episode number 119 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. 
This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.